This is Joshua Reeves with Leader to Leader, and today we're meeting with Jim Jarrett, who is the president of GBA, uh, which is an architectural and engineering firm in the Kansas City metro area and beyond. And this is Jim's first year of being the president of that organization, and we're going to find out how those leadership challenges have and opportunities have helped Jim grow in the past year. Welcome, Jim. Thanks, Josh. It's great to be here. Um, I'm excited to be a part of this, so thanks for inviting me. You bet, you bet. Um, are you ready to jump into some, some Q&A or? Sure, okay. no, sounds great. All right, so I've got a list of a couple questions here, and then we're gonna do something different in this uh, podcast, which is rapid fire Q&A. Some are gonna be very, very personal questions. What were uh, some of your biggest challenges taking over a, a mature business? The company's been around 52 or three years when you took over. What were some of those biggest challenges you had? You know, we worked pretty closely with uh, going through that whole process. And, and one of the things that I did um, in preparation to that was kind of create a, a 30, 60, 90 plan. And, and I, I feel like I did a pretty good job of executing that. But one of the biggest challenges was um, just trying to understand a little bit about when to listen and kind of when to push on different things. I'll tell you, like, um, I even remember a conversation that you and I had, we were talking about some changes that maybe we needed to make in A&E and you were, you were kind of getting some stuff and you're like, well, Jim, you, you've been present for how long now? And I was like, it's been like three months, Josh. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. So, I'm like, what? So, I thought it was like a year already. So, there is managing those perceptions, right? So, so like for me, it was like thinking about, you know, what should we change, and then also because it's a mature business, if you come in right off the bat and say you're going to change a bunch of stuff, yeah. it's not going to work. And so, for me, I spent the majority of the first time, first month or two months just getting around and trying to meet everybody yeah. and get them to know really who I was because I think the perceptions are our reality sometimes. And you've got to, you've got to really make the effort to get out there and just get people to kind of understand who you are a little bit better. But this isn't the first time I've transitioned into a different role. And so luckily having some of that experience has helped me kind of realize that people are, it's interesting because there's people that are looking for change and there's people that are not looking for change. And the other, I think one of the other really important parts of my, my role was I had to let go of the vine and, you know, cause I was in another business and, and it was very important to make sure that that was transitioned very well, as well as getting out of the way and letting them do their job so that I could kind of get working with the other groups yeah. and just find out what barriers they have. So, yeah, no, that makes total sense to me. Uh, question two. Describe your leadership style, and this kind of goes into what you were just saying. Describe your leadership style, and how did you balance that with the other markets and, and groups within the GBA organization? Uh, can you give us a little bit of background on that? Sure, that's fair. I think we all continue to evolve as a leader. Um, for me, I aspire to be that servant leader. You know, we talk about that. What does that mean? And, you know, for me... Being a servant leader is is really truly serving the the groups that we, we work with, and and listening. 
Uh, one of the biggest things is uh, having to be a really good communicator and being a really good listener. And so as far as that servant leader, I had, I've had lots of good mentors over the, over the years. Um, I've, I've realized that several of them are not necessarily even with this company and getting an outside perspective is really good. And one of them told me one time, he said, you know, Jim, your job from eight to five is to be with your staff and try and help them understand what are their barriers and listening to them and seeing, are they really a barrier or is it communication? What is the, what is the issue there? You know, after five, that's kind of your time. And, and I kind of embrace that. And actually I love it because I tell you, being, being that servant leader gives you that opportunity to be in a lot of those conversations. It's interesting though, as you say, in the different markets, because, you know, there's markets I don't know anything about. <laughs> and, and so I had to go learn all of that. And it's exciting for me because I love to learn. And I've gotten to learn all, all my whole career, but I, I've heard you say it. I'm sure you said it on your podcast before, but you have to realize that as you're a leader, as you're the servant leader, you're no longer the smartest person in that room anymore. And, and as you said in those, com you're, you're sitting in those meetings, your role has changed. You're not there to solve, you know, you're not there to, to, to make the decisions or whatever. You're there to, to basically take the bullets if you need to. You're there to kind of listen to what their barriers are and, and help them get through that process. Well, and we have different, I mean, I had to learn what ATMP was, you know, advanced therapeutic medicinal products. I've had to learn, you know, what um, plant-based vaccines are and learn new clients and all these different things. And it it's fun to learn new things and meet new people and, and sell GBA. And that's what I love to do. So completely relate to not being the smartest one in the room. And I haven't been in that uh, position for several years now. Looking forward, forward looking three years out, give or take. What are the top three things you're most excited about as far as initiatives, strategy, vision for GBA coming up and, and looking forward? That's a that's an interesting question. You know, we we just got through our planning process with uh, meeting with all the teams, so um, that that was uh, great for me to kind of learn kind of where the teams are headed, as well as you know just overall. Um, and one of the things that I I keep hearing about is um, kind of this digital transformation. And I was, it was about two weeks ago, I was at a CEO forum. And so I was listening, you know, we hear this digital stuff. So I was like, what, what does that really mean? And, you know, when you talk to different AEC firms, you know, one of the big pushes that most of the larger firms are doing is, is really uh, investing in trying to be future proof and investing in trying to um, think about how do we, how can we deliver uh, new processes or deliver our, our products to our clients in a different way. And it's interesting because as engineers, we, you know, we sit there and we feel like every job is different. So we are not embracing some of the new, like some of the machine learning and some of the AI and all that. So when I talked to all of our different groups, it was very apparent that we are trying to put, you know, we have this Linux that, that is helping us kind of look at some of the new things in the future. Like we have VR, virtual reality, that's helping us improve our client experiences. And I really do think, you know, um, in talking with the buildings group and, and even on the tr transportation side, this augmented reality um, or this virtual reality is really gonna help us improve our processes 
um, and and improve the client experience. You know, I was just talking with um, one of the groups and we were talking about these digital twins. And, and a digital twin is, um, it's when you deliver, it's like when you're sitting there, we're doing BIM modeling right now, we've got a BIM manager and we're, we're developing a building but now, instead of just giving them some as-built drawings, we can give them a digital twin, so that in the future, when they want to when they want to make some changes to the building or whatever, they've got this digital they've got this digital twin model that we can utilize there. And I think just embracing some of that is is going to be very very important. Also, you know, as we look at the markets we're in, they're very very strong. We also want to make sure that we're doing some resiliency planning. You know, there's a lot of, there's all, there's talk in every news thing you, you hear about, about recession and, and all these things. And what I think GBA has been really, really good at is, is doing some resiliency planning, but actually doing some intentional uh, training to cross train people. I think that's, that's something that I'm seeing is, is everybody's embracing that. The other thing is um, about training. Um, we keep hearing um, every one of the groups is focused on how they want to train their staff and, and help them understand the why we're doing things. Because if we just try and grow and not really realize what the structure is that we need to have and, and make sure that we're training that staff, we're going to really miss out. I just also I'm just going to say I think the staff is really excited about different opportunities that we're that we're looking at in the regional offices and growing those regional offices. Yeah. Yeah. I so think I, in the next few years we're really going to be building out that regional footprint. So. Yeah. So, getting ready for rapid-fire questions, Jim, we went around and asked some of your employees what they wanted to know about you, whether it was leadership-related or personally related, and we have a little bit of both, and we're getting ready to start them right now. As a leader, how do you handle mistakes and errors within your team? We, we need to sit back and, and find out, is it really a mistake, and is it an error, or is it a preference? I mean... One of the things that I've always run into is, is um, you know, what what is the problem? What is the challenge? So I always like, uh, I feel like the, the most important thing to do is to kind of sit down and have the communication, have them kind of confirm that that's the issue, and then just sit back and say, okay, what, what happened? And then just kind of find out the, yeah. the what, what happened. It reminds me of uh, some rules that I try to live by where you never make assumptions, never jump to conclusions because right. I always get you in trouble. Um, what is your strategy when you have bad news to deliver to a client and how do you prepare yourself to have these difficult conversations? I think that that's interesting. I have really enjoyed, I don't know, uh, we have a consultant that we use here at GBA is Dan Omlinger. And um, he helps with negotiation. He helps with conflict avoidance and, and definitely having difficult conversations. I had a, a call from from a recent uh, or another president and he was like, hey, Jim, um, you guys keep taking our people. And so we have all these difficult conversations. And what I would tell you is preparing for those difficult conversations is extremely important. In the past, what I would have done is probably just kind of wing it. And that's definitely not how you want to handle it when you have a have a difficult conversation. I think sitting there and thinking about what is the outcome that you want to have, like, you know, this this could go bad one way or the other. And so, like, at least you want to figure out, like, okay, when I'm going to have this conversation, you know, this is what really I'm trying to hit on the, on the outcome and make sure that that comes out. You got to remove all your emotion. Um, I think one of the, the, the first things that I did was also 
um, start to realize that, you know, this is, you, you got to remove that emotion, but also you got to prepare for how they're going to handle it. That helps you understand how do you want to react when that happens. I think the other thing that is also important um, when those come up is you got to do it immediately. You don't, you don't want to sit back and wait. The longer that that festers, you know, you're, you're sitting there and it's toiling over you. And you, it may be just a, a, that conversation may be fine. Sometimes we always think about the worst. Uh, the best thing is to plan it out, to write it down. If you've made a mistake, if something went wrong, and you have to deliver that news to somebody who's who's in a position of power or authority, don't go there and just tell them we made this mistake. Have the potential solution that you're saying, but we have this solution. Yeah. We messed this up this is a solution just want to keep you involved and up to speed and it's pretty hard to um to take that out on somebody when they're coming to you with the mistake and the solution and they're being candid and honest with you so how would you take this so um in that specific example i gave you um i have a we have a mutual friend and he he said you know oh jim yeah i know jim he's he's a He's the best person I've ever had to have difficult conversations with. So I wasn't sure how to take that. Is that like a compliment or? I think so. <laughs> it's it's kind of like that compliment you were trying to give me earlier about being short. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't quite process it that way. So, um, What was your time in the Chicago Marathon? Slow to some, but really fast to me. I'm really proud of it. So it was three hours and 45 minutes. I I think one of the funniest things about that marathon was I also did that with a person that worked here that uh, ended up becoming a priest. And so we ran that together and um, we didn't run it in the same, like we were in different locations or whatever when we started. But uh, when he came back, all he cared about is how many people that he beat you know like he was in there and it was it was like middle-aged old women that that he beat and that's all he really cared about so scott wallace was his name but yeah now he's a priest at uh, john over in johnson drive so hmm. it was really fun but i love that speaking of that i just realized i forgot to name uh the name so the first question was from zach parr and the second question was from patrick hildebrandt the last question regarding the chicago marathon was from gabby shannon Hey, on the Zach Parr one, um, you know, I was thinking about the mistake. The, the one thing I will tell you that has helped me um, just as a, as a leader is, you know, you, you sit down and you have those um, conversations with people, but especially when it affects the clients. I know some of his, you know, if you have a, if you have a mistake or something and you've got to have that conversation with the client, what I found is, is uh, rewarding. And I think learning, you know, we are a learning organization. We understand people are going to make mistakes. It's, it's just important for them to understand, you know, what would they do differently, you know, and those things. But the other thing is, is if it impacts the client, we need to make sure that we, we let the client know. And the way I've always done it um, is not make, uh, make them have to call the client. If it was my job, I'm the project manager. So I would call the client, but I had them sit in there. So they watched me squirm. They watched me uh, handle it when the, when the client, and that's not very much fun when you do that. What are your favorite books on leadership? I'm, not gonna, I'm gonna say book. What's your favorite book on leadership that a young professional at GBA should read? This is from Kelsey Jett. Um, that's hard picking just one. I, I know, okay, so when I, um, when I started GBA, I had no interest in reading any books at all. I was not a book reader. I uh, 
I didn't necessarily like books. I don't know. I think it was probably something to do with school. But then I have really come to enjoy leadership books. And what got me into it was uh, I had to read a book from Patrick Lencioni. And uh, that one actually was The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And what I liked about his books is he always writes a parable. And in that parable, then there's a lot of learning that goes with that. And I have found throughout the years that he has some really interesting books. Like there, So if you were going to pick one, I would say it's probably maybe the three signs of a miserable job. Um, and, and what I think is cool about that is it's a motivational book. It helps you understand, you know, we, we actually did an anti-misery worksheet that comes off of that book and walked through that with the groups. And it, it helps you understand the three main reasons why, why people um, necessarily don't thrive at their job. And one of them is about anonymity, like knowing who they are. Um, I think that's really important, like what who they are in the organization, what's their role and how, how do they fit in. Um, the other part is uh, irrelevance, what your role is on the project and making sure they understand the relevancy. You know, we've had several times when we would just give somebody a task and they don't realize how important that task is because we didn't take the time to sit down and go, this is like one of the most important yeah. pieces of the that. Why. The yeah. why. Yeah. And then lastly, which I always love this one because it was a made-up word. He always uses make-up words, is a measurement. And on the measurement side, it's not for me to go and tell people, hey, I think you're doing a great job. It's that you have your own metrics that you know that you're doing a good job. And so setting those those three things I think is really important. But that is a fantastic book. I have not read that, but I will put it on my list. My favorite book that is for young people to grow into is The Four Agreements. And I can recite The Four Agreements, use impeccable words, don't take things personally, never make assumptions, and always do your best. Hmm. I like um, it. I like it. Those are just pretty simple things to, to live by. Kelsey Jett also has an excellent question. What's your favorite KC barbecue? Uh, I think growing up in KCK, my favorite barbecue is going to be Oklahoma Joe's, which is no longer. It's now Joe's KC, but I'm going to pick Oklahoma Joe's. Okay. Especially if you go to the when gas you, station. You got to go to the gas yeah. station to get it. You can't. You can't. When you said growing up in KCK, I thought maybe you were going to go wind up barbecue. Well, yeah, that's not as good. <laughs> um... Last question, and this is from Lucas Rosenbaum. What character traits of an employee stand out to you that indicate that person can be a great leader? Well, I'm going to go back to what we talked about a little bit earlier, but number one, I think, is a good communicator um, and somebody that can listen, you know, when we're having those conversations, uh, somebody that's really listening. And then one of the things that I've seen, uh, you know, the way we, way we operate here at GBA is somebody that can see the big picture and collaborate and not stuck in their own little box somebody that really understands that hey there there's more pieces to this whole part and like i want to i want to be a part of all of it and i want to be able to to cross different groups and cross different affiliates and all of that so somebody that's willing to do that i think is really good i always think you know i went to a, a presentation the other day and they were talking about why now uh, in this world uh, kind of the two most important characteristics for a leader are somebody that has empathy and somebody that has perspective. And so thinking about that, I think also adds to that. Empathy is 
pretty large in the in the spectrum. Definitely listening, being a good communicator. It can get you into trouble, though. Uh, I know even me um, having really high empathy. You know, it can it can lead to uh, not having those uh, difficult conversations. Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen that that kind of. Uh, that matriculate in my yeah. world as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it is, it's good. It's almost like trust, but verify kind of thing. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes empathy can start to override accountability. And that's where I think where you're yep. going is you can, you can get yourself into a pickle that way. Okay. Last question. I think I said last question last time. This, <laughs> this is seriously the last question because I overlooked one. This was from Dylan. And Dylan asks, what is the biggest risk you have taken? And in what ways has it helped shape you as a leader? And I think this could be a personal risk, a business risk, a social risk, any number of different risks, because I think as you grow from risks, it's going to shape you as a person and a leader. Well, rapid fire. So first thing that popped in my head, I, I think is two things. One's a business risk and the other one is just a risk that I took here at GBA. And um, so back in the day, my my boss at this at the time, um, there was two, they were, they had about the same birthday. So there was a, there was the leader of the transportation group and a leader of the kind of the roadway group. And they were both turning 50. And so I got together with our team and I feel like I, this was probably the largest risk I ever took at GBA. We decided to go move their entire, so they had these nice cush corner offices and we moved them to the center of, of the room. And, and we, so we didn't tell anybody, but we worked with IT, we moved their phone, we moved their computer, we moved everything. Not only that, we had it set up so that when they walked in their office, like I remember when he walked in his office, he went, oh boy. And then he went and found where his office was and we we made it so that like, oh, he had a phone call right away from a client and he turned around and everything was right there. We took pictures, but we made it exactly like that. And so my boss at that time, he he thought it was hilarious and it was great, but I had a cohort that, that cheated with her her boss and he did not take it as well. He did. <laughs> but uh, I remember several of the principals coming over, even Mike, Mike Smith was the president. He's like, Oh my God, that was a huge risk. So, so that was uh, probably the biggest risk I ever took at GBA, but it was really fun. I hated putting everything back, but it was still really <laughs> fun uh, to do something. I think as far as professional risk, um, honestly, I think that that's important. You have to figure out how to do the, how to balance the risks. And, you know, you and I talk about this all the time about what's the difference between asking for forgiveness and asking for permission and, and, and risk kind of come with that. And I remember going and setting up the Texas office and we set up the Texas office without any work. We put people down there uh, without any work and that felt really risky to me, but it also felt like it was the right thing to do. We've been talking about it for tons of time and we just had to do it. Yeah. And, yeah. and I'm excited now because it's, it's growing like crazy and it's got a lot of opportunities and I feel really good about it. But at the time it really yeah. did feel pretty risky. <laughs> yeah. I can, I can relate to some of those, those gut feelings. I love that line. Uh, ask for, forgiveness not permission there's the asterisk to that there is is are you being ethical are you being honest are you you know if you're 
if you're taking risks, but you're doing it for the good of the whole and you're being ethical and honest and forthright about taking those risks, then it's pretty tough to have people hold that against you. It's also about being strategic, right? You got to have that strategic mindset. And, you know, so the risk and the strategy kind of goes together and, and where will we be if we don't take risks? So you have to do some, but you, you also have to be smart about it. And, and I love the ideas now that we, we spend more time socializing a lot of those ideas so it doesn't feel as risky. It's still going to be a risky decision because if it doesn't work, it's all on you. Yeah. And But I would I would say make sure that you kind of socialize all those ideas. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, that's spot on. Having a plan and a strategy is huge. Uh, Jim, thank you for joining today. I think that's all the questions we have. Thanks, everybody.